Welcome to Life from Plato's Cave. I'm Mario Veen. This is episode 13, Flat Earth and Science Communication with I Can Science That. Thank you if you're supporting this podcast by liking and subscribing, leaving a review, sharing it with your friends and enemies, or supporting it financially through Patreon. Imagine you have climbed from Plato's cave to the surface of the Earth. And then you return to tell your former colleagues. You tell them, wow, I have some news. You're all in Plato's cave. The things you see and believe are based on an illusion. But I've gone outside and I found something much more truthful. I mean, did you know we're living on a giant globe that is floating through the galaxy? And then they answer, do you know how ridiculous you sound? I mean, I trust my own eyes, my own judgment. Do you honestly believe we're on a giant ball floating through space? Then why does the sea look so flat? Have you ever seen water stick to a ball? And how does our atmosphere not get sucked into the vacuum of space? I'm not in Plato's cave, you're in Plato's cave. In this episode, we're going to talk about science denial and science communication. Science is an exploration of the unknown. But there are so many things we do not know that we should count ourselves lucky that there are some things that actually are pretty well established. We pretty much know the shape of the earth. We know that cigarettes are bad for you. We know the climate is warming. But did you know that there are still people out there that believe the earth is flat? After seeing the Netflix documentary Behind the Curve, I started speaking with flat earthers to see what it takes to have a real conversation with someone who has such a different perspective from myself. But our guide through Plato's Cave today takes that to an extreme. I speak with the creator of the YouTube channel I Can Science That. He has a master's degree in aeronautical engineering and he's a teacher at a major university. The I Can Science That channel is devoted to honest investigations of everyday science. It's trying to promote the idea that believing in genuine facts is a good thing and that we all should try to focus on that more. First we'll talk about this community of flat earthers. What is going on with them? And why would the serious science guy spend so much time engaging with them? Often when people deny basic scientific facts, our reaction is to give them more information because obviously they don't understand it yet. But does that really work? And we'll also speak about an issue that is central to Plato's allegory of the cave. The difference between philosophy and sophistry. What can scientists do to improve science communication? And what can each of us do to be better equipped to assess scientific issues such as climate change or the coronavirus? But don't worry, we're not going to speak about corona or climate or any politics. We'll just stick to whether the earth is flat or round. Thanks again for speaking with me. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. And what time is it there? Uh, it's 10 a.m. here. Okay, here it's um, 7 p.m. Okay, so that that's means the, the sun is not visible from where I am. Oh my gosh, wait, yeah. the sun is visible to me, but the sun is not visible yeah. to you? <laughs> How is that possible? How is that possible? Yeah. Surely the sun is just very low on the horizon for you. And maybe it's just so far away, you can't make it out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
there are people that believe that. There are people that believe that the earth is flat. Yeah. So I've been fascinated by them, but I thought I was the only one. <laughs> because it's so easy to this. I mean, it's so you, the first reaction is, of course, the earth is a globe. We, we know that. Right. But uh, so why spend any time on that? But and I, I've, I've, you know, dabbled in a few years ago, engaging with them on social media, trying to have some chats. But you kind of take it to the extreme. I've, one of your last conversations was five hours with uh, a flat earther. That's right. Last last week, I spent five hours with uh, with a flat earther. Yeah. So I guess my first question is, why? Why? Well, I talked to them at all. Uh, um, let's start with that. Um, the first off, I find them very fascinating, as I think you've said, and just thinking about how could someone think this? Um, when I first got into it, I was convinced they didn't. I was convinced they were just pulling my leg. They were trolling me, right? Um, and as I looked into it a little bit more, I started to realize some of them seem really serious. Some of them seem to actually believe this stuff. Yeah. And so I was fascinated by the idea that someone could believe something so very obviously not true. Um, and uh, if you've got any flat earthers listening, they're going to be like, no, it is true. It's not obvious that it's not true. Just watch the sunset, right? Just, like we were just talking about the sun goes down behind the horizon. We see that. Um, it comes up on the opposite side. How does that, how does that happen? If, if it happened for everyone across the world at the same time, as the ancients once believed, that we could understand. We say, okay, the earth is flat and the sun goes around. Great. Um, but now that we are in different time zones, like I'm at 10 a.m., you're at 7 p.m., so the sun is down for you, sun is up for me. And it's not, it's not farther away, it's down. It, it, we watched it go below, we just watch, right? Just look at the sun, it goes down below the horizon. Done, right? We're done. There's no, it's that easy to show that it's not true. And yet, people believe that that it that the earth is flat so how is it possible um and so i found that really fascinating particularly in the um, in, in the idea that if somebody could believe something so obviously not true then what if something was a little less obvious um and what if something had greater social ramifications or, or greater personal ramifications than just the shape of the earth, uh, you know, like climate change is a, is a good example where we see people choosing alternate facts. There's some people choose one set of facts and run with that. Other people choose a whole different set of just factual information that they, that they choose to believe. Um, and I see that sort of as a parallel of this flat earth thing where someone can look at like I can look at the sunset and go, that is a fact. The sun has gone down and that is conclusive. The earth is a globe. And somebody else will rationalize and come up with some excuse for why 
I didn't see what I just saw. Um, and if you apply that same technique towards uh, something more complicated like climate change, uh, a, a lot of people can suddenly start to believe that, that climate change, oh, that's not man-made or, or you know, whatever, whatever other thing they're gonna say. Um, and so I see things like climate change as just one example, but they're, they're all over the place. Just basic factual baseline truths are really crucial for us as a democracy in, in a society to move forward in a sensible way we have to at least start with the facts. And if people don't go with the facts, if people are able to just make up their own fantasies of how the world works, and they're going to, they're going to vote and they're going to take action based on their fantasies, then what does that mean for the future of, of our world? Um, I don't see anything good coming from that. And so I use flat earth as my sort of safe example of that, where, you know, 99% of everybody can agree that, well, no, those flat earth folks, they're nuts. They're rejecting reality. And if I could understand why they're doing that and maybe somehow come up with, if, if we understand why they do that, maybe we could understand why people do that in other ways. Yeah. rejecting basic facts about things and, and try to coax them back towards a reality. Yeah, so it's kind of an extreme example of something that is happening in society. Right. And I mean, there's already so many things that I think we can disagree on <laughs> that um, uh, there are there are some things that we can agree on. Of course, as a philosopher, you can always uh, find a way to, um, I mean, I like to use this example from, from Vsauce. Uh, you, I'm sure you've seen the video about the earth is flat or is the earth flat? Okay, yes. Well, I would say, you know, as a human being uh, sitting on earth, uh, the shape of the earth would be a globe, kind of. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. if you would be moving uh, a particle moving uh, near the night light speed towards earth the earth would appear to you as a flat disk because of well let's say just relativity so yes. there's always a way to say well you know you have to say uh okay the earth is round uh from a scientific view uh the the earth as a whole because i mean i live in the netherlands and the netherlands is named that way because it's nether because it's very flat that we have no mountains not even any hills or something like that if you would live in the netherlands you would probably think well the earth is flat except <laughs> we have we have this beautiful sky so it was a few weeks ago i was uh, taking my daughter to school and there was this beautiful sunrise and there was this um i was thinking about you know our conversation that we're gonna have and there was this beautiful orange light uh, on the, how do you say it? On the bottom of the clouds. Yes. And you could see kind of the, the bottom of the clouds were illuminated, but the top weren't. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that's strange because the sun is very high above the earth. So how can the bottom be illuminated? It was dark, so it wasn't the reflection of the earth. 
so I thought, well, that's pretty amazing that I can see that. And I think, wow, this only makes sense if the, the sun is somehow able to shine below the you can notice i don't really have a physics background right <laughs> well yeah. that's 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 okay you don't need a physics background like you just explained you, you're walking you look at the sky you look at the clouds and you say i can see it's just obvious i don't need a complicated degree to explain that the sun must somehow be below those clouds yeah the sun is below those clouds it's just right <laughs> it's not even a question mm -hmm. yeah um so what you'd have to do what you'd have to do to be a flat earther is to reject that to reject what you see with your own eyes and just say no it's not um and i think i, I got an insight um well about last year from uh, from a paper that I was reading that explained some of the nuances of what they call cultural cognition. And they were explaining that uh, the motivation to do something like that, like the, the deep psychological motivation to reject an incontrovertible fact, like the sun is clearly below the clouds. You just, you're walking on the beach, the sun's below the clouds. Just, it's a granted for everybody else. To reject that, the motivation could be that you want to separate yourself from the, the rest of the people, that that's the goal. I mean, when I say want, it's not, I mean, that's the wrong word. Something in your psyche is the purpose of that mechanism is to separate you from the rest of the, of the people, to set yourself apart. And you can't set yourself apart by saying something obvious that everyone agrees with. The sky is blue. You say the no. sky is blue, that will not separate you. You'll have to go out and say the, sun, the sky is green. And the sky is green. And then now you've managed to carve yourself away from the others, the others. And I think that's really what's at play here. Yeah, I, I like that uh hypothesis but i think it works the other way around too do you know these uh experiments uh, i think they're social psychology experiments where there's so there's uh, let's say there's 10 participants except there's only one participant and nine are in on the experiment right. and they get just a list of questions they don't explain why and one of those questions is uh, which line is the shortest and clearly one of the three lines is much shorter than the other one and uh, everyone has to say their answer out loud. And the, the, the person, the actual participant is maybe uh, person number seven. So right. the first six all give the wrong answer. And then you look how, how many cases that person would give the wrong answer while they can see with their own eyes the, uh, the line is shortest. And th there's another one where they test it with a fire alarm. So again, the sa same kind of setting, um, but, uh, and they're just, they're not even in the experiment, they're in the wait, they're waiting for the experiment to start and the fire alarm goes off. Everybody you know, who's in on the experiment remains calm, sits there, pretends like nothing is happening. 
um, even at one point, smoke yeah. starts to come in. <laughs> right. I mean, so I mean, I get I get yeah. your point, but I think um, mm-hmm. there's something there for sure. But it has to do with with the, being part of a group, mm-hmm. um, having a kind of uh, paradigm and, and a world image. And now we're kind of in a society where we acknowledge that the earth is round. But I don't think people go around thinking, oh, the earth is round, the earth is round. And Most even, of us don't. Yeah, and, and maybe some people think, well, but Although I, I will point out that now you do. And since we've been talking about it, you walk on the beach and look at the, look at the sunrise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you say the earth is round when you see the sunrise. Yeah. But I think what what amazed me when I heard about it is it's it's not because um, I had I walk around with this belief in my head all day, uh, you know, I live in the Hague and this and this. Oh yeah, and the Earth is round. It's just like there for me. It's not there for me. It's just when someone says, "Hey, the, did you know the Earth is flat?" My first reaction is like, "How could someone even think about questioning that?" And I think, I mean, from what I've heard about, it's, it's so easy to say, well, these people are just stupid, right? But I've heard- It's I mean, easy so, to say that. Some of it... them are, some of them are common, some of them are everything like that. But I've heard some quite intelligent <laughs> people, right? And I think they all, their, their story all starts with, um, yeah, you know what? I used to believe that too. And then I heard about flat earth and- uh, I mean, that was just fr- crazy. And I started, you know, just out of curios- curiosity watching it. And it took me six months. And then I, and then mm-hmm. they uh, had an epiphany and they realized actually the, the earth is flat. Yeah, that's the common story. That's what you yeah. hear um, all, I, almost every time, I, pretty much every time. Yeah. The, every flat earther will tell you, yeah, I used to believe it was a globe. And then I saw... And virtually all of them will say, and then I saw a YouTube video. And uh, then they will say they took a great deal of time researching it. And then whatever reasons they then choose, they say, uh, usually something like, I tried to disprove it. I tried to to disprove the flat earth and I couldn't. And so now I'm a flat earther. That's what you hear over and over. And there's lots of videos as well on youtube that get a lot of views too they're they're just fun to watch that you know science people debunking the flat earths like uh professor dave is one i i saw you know one of his videos got like 10 million views or something like that he's quite harsh he he <laughs> yells at them he he um so yeah. your style is quite different right uh, yeah i try to be <laughs> and did, did you when you when you started out your youtube channel was it from the start about flat earth or did you create it for another um this channel yeah pretty much Uh, the first video i ever did was um because i came across someone else who had who had done a video uh that said you cannot create a rainbow indoors Hmm. can't be done can't create a rainbow indoors um and that is somehow proof that the earth is flat right it's, it's a long road to get from <laughs> indoor rainbow to flat earth, but, but they, they made this connection. And I just wanted to contribute to the, the conversation. I thought at that time, I thought that these people 
They just don't know, right? They, they clearly haven't tried it very hard if they've tried it all. Uh, so I wanted to see how hard was it yeah. to make an indoor rainbow. Uh, and then I, I went and I did it um, very much starting with, and this is the premise of my channel as well, starting with the concept that it had to be cheap and easy. It, it couldn't involve a lot of investment or specific knowledge or specific equipment. So I took a, a lamp into my garage and a spray bottle um, and I sprayed the, sprayed the water with the lamp and I filmed the rainbow. And it, was, it wasn't great. It was like very dim and you could barely make out the colors, but it's there. Uh, and so I made a little video saying, hey guys, look, you can. And I even, I even took the position of it's actually harder than you think to make a rainbow indoors. So mm -hmm. if you've tried this and failed, I understand. Here are some tips that I learned about how to do a better job with it. Um, and then I also linked a to a video of someone who did a very good job. Like here's a beautiful rainbow uh, in someone's garage. Looks great. Check this out. I thought that they would go, oh, wow, you're right. I, how did I miss that? And that isn't what they did at all. <laughs> no, they, they jumped on me. Um, they made up excuses uh, and they called me names. And uh, I was quite shocked by that. That's when I started to understand that this kind of thinking isn't reality-based. It isn't evidence-based at all. So that was, that's how I got started. And then, you know, from then I, I've continued doing similar things once in a while of, hey, I see a lot of people talking about this subtopic. Um, like perspective is one of the ones I've done. You know, I hear a lot of people talk about perspective and, oh, that's because of perspective. Um, and I try to contribute in, the, in terms of, well, let's actually do an experiment to show what perspective really does and see how that doesn't match what you're saying it does. Um, I now understand, I mean, when I made these first ones, I thought that that would have an impact on the people who were misusing perspective. I now understand it does not. It does not have any impact on them at all. But hopefully it has an impact on any viewers who are just, just don't know, who are like, oh, yeah, is that how perspective works? I don't know. Seems reasonable. And then they may, hopefully they'll watch my video and say, oh, that's neat. I learned something new about how perspective works. Yeah, what, what you're describing is in science communication, it's called the deficit model. So right. um, very logically, when it scientist or a teacher explains something and there's criticism they think well there must be a lack of knowledge or lack of information so if i provide more information uh, you can see the, the debate about around gmos and everything like that yes. where, where people had maybe there was something else going on whatever it was can be very legitimate concerns but then you think well as a scientist, which is very logical because that's how you see the world is, well, I want to, you know, have the, the knowledge and information and accuracy about the world. So if someone 
doesn't see it the same way. Okay, if I provide that, okay, let's see. Well, that was your experience. That's what I like. You actually went and do that. I mean, it's not, like you say, it's not easy to create that experiment. You could have probably done better things with your time. <laughs> so you spend a lot of time doing that, which is, I guess, your own kind of experiment, right? Okay, let's see if I create a rainbow inside my house and I show it to them. Let's see if that convinces them. So that, that, that was, was your first step. Okay, that's not that's not going to do it. <laughs> so what, what did you do? Very uh, well said, yes. What, what was the next? Uh... So I think after after the internal indoor rainbow, my next trial, I think the next one I did was, um, I think it was perspective next. I did the perspective one next and got approximately the same result. How do you know about, about perspective? What is your own expertise? Okay, good, good point. Um, I, uh, I am a, a teacher at college um, and I teach uh, a lot of computer graphics stuff. Yeah. And so in computer graphics, we're trying to make a simulation of reality. So we, in order to, to simulate reality, you have to understand reality uh, first. You have to see what, what should it look like mm -hmm. so that I can create an artificial version that matches the human's expectations. Um, and believe it or not, we don't do that just by intuition. We don't just make a thing and tweak it until it looks right. We study the physics of light and try to emulate that. Uh, and so um, perspective, right? Perspective yeah. is a key part of visual perception. It's a key part of camera work. So um, perspective, I, I really love the perspective lecture. Um, I always say this, it's one of my favorite lectures because we are talking about engineering students at a university. Engineering students at a university, almost all of them have no idea how perspective actually works. They know that you know, distant objects appear smaller, they get that, but I think we all come in with just like this base understanding that that's true and have never questioned why. Like no one's ever said, why is that the case? We just sort of imagine that it's a fundamental law of nature, that that's just how, this is how it, it is. Um, and, and you'll see, you know, counterfactual statements about it, something to do with the, the shape of our eye or, um, or just whatever, I mean, things, you'll hear weird descriptions of what people think perspective is yeah. um, when really it's very simple. Perspective comes down to two principles. The first principle, light must hit your eye or your camera in order to be recorded. Simple. The light, if the light doesn't hit your eye, you can't see it, right? If the light doesn't hit your camera sensor, right? I got, got my camera here. If, if the light doesn't hit your camera sensor, the camera can't see it. Done. Principle number two, light typically travels in straight lines. And so in order to get to your camera from over there, it'll travel in a straight line like this. From here, it travels in a straight line like this. From here, it travels in a straight line like this. And you can see mm -hmm. that makes a cone. Yeah, All people the light can't see that, you, but I think they can imagine. Uh, yeah, yeah, they won't be able to see you. Uh, let me describe that makes a cone. The, the, the stuff the camera can see 
is in a cone shape because of the straight line nature of how light travels. And because of that, the farther away it is, the larger the radius of the cone, right? And so something far away takes up less of that cone than when it's closer. Yeah. When it's closer, it takes up the whole cone. When it's farther away, it takes up less of the cone. And you, you just draw that diagram and do the math and you're like, oh, hey, look, here's the formula for perspective is how it works. Um, right, so that that's how I know that. Yeah, and I guess flat earthers they uh, they one of the things they say uh, we we rely on our senses. Uh, so Which one of our senses are yeah our sight, and and so you they describe something like how how does stuff disappear beyond the horizon? A lot of the arguments are like the kind of of the nature like uh, well. If the earth was round, this would happen, but I see this, so it's not true. For instance, if the earth was round, you wouldn't be able to take a photo of this mountain because it will be too far away, it would be beyond the horizon or something like that. Or they say, well, the sun and the moon are pretty much the same size, I think, mm -hmm. because that's how it looks, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you know the sun is, you're probably saying the sun is very big and it's very far away. Mm -hmm. And that has all kinds of implications, but they say, no, it's, it's actually what 3000 uh, kilometers or something above the earth. And it's quite small. Right. You get, you get different answers, but yeah, yeah. they generally agree much, much closer, much smaller. Yeah. So then you're, you're identifying what well, the part that they're uh, you know, that, that they don't get is, is the part about perspective that you know about. Right. You, you explain yeah, it to them. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, to repeat what you said before, I started off very much with the deficit model. I thought that, I mean, because that was my experience as a teacher with, you know, in a, in a university setting with students that are hungry for knowledge, students that they don't know. But when I show them how perspective works, yeah, they are, they're just giddy with it. There's love that they learned that. It's like, oh my God, yeah, that I see it now. I thought that that's how people are, right? I, I thought that they would come in not knowing, they would want to know, they would gain new knowledge, and then they would take that forward, right? Um, but no, that's, that's not how it works. I, and you also described what I'm doing as sort of an experiment myself, where I have this hypothesis that if I provide the knowledge, that will have this impact. And what I discovered is it does not have the intended impact at all. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I see lots of people who will say things like, when you say the sun sets, we see the sun setting. Don't you see that the sun is going below the horizon? Somehow it's going below the earth. It's going below the clouds. It's going below the ground. Doesn't that mean that something somehow must be sh shaped? And they'll usually just say, no, that's perspective. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where I, I originally came in with the, well, that, that's not how perspective works. Let's, let's show how perspective works. And then let's circle back and apply that knowledge against the statement you just made and learn that that statement was in incorrect and, and move forward. But that's not how they work at all and did you was was did you only get negative reactions from 
flat earthers or were there also people that say well actually i haven't looked at it like that um i'm a globe right now. Get, there, there, there's a spectrum there's um there's like active flat earth debunkers right who many of them didn't know how it worked either and we're very appreciative of that knowledge they're like oh wow look at that yeah and then there's um just regular people, I'm going to have just regular people in the middle who don't know how that works. And they saw the flat earth explanation and they were like, I don't think so, but I don't know. And they're like, oh yeah, I see that now. Yeah. See how that works. So they're um, open, they're you, actually open. They're, they're considering the flat earth. Maybe there's something to it, but they're not decided yet. I don't think so. I don't think yeah. those people exist. Um, I think it's an extremely unstable condition. Like, you know, stability, you can be a very stable in your belief that the earth is a globe yeah. and it doesn't take much to get into that stable zone. All you got to do is have your teacher tell you that in second grade and you are cool with it. And then when you meet a flat earther, you're like, no, you're crazy because, and that's what you were pointing out with just, the social structure reinforces that very strongly yeah well i have to say for me it was actually that's why i enjoyed it so much because i um some of the when i spoke with them on uh i think mostly on twitter a little bit on youtube i mean just typing right not like mm -hmm. you 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 actually interview them which is really great i mean I, and i really appreciate that they uh, come on to your uh program and uh I mean, that says a lot about you that they feel just, I mean, they're really nice conversations and um, okay. But so I, I was just typing with them and what I liked about it is that I couldn't answer some of their questions. They would say, what about, um, you know, like uh, what are the example I just said, well, look, here's a photo uh, from uh, this uh, location. Uh, we see this mountain or we see this tower on the other side of the lake but you can see the bottom of the tower. But if the earth was round, like you say, uh, you shouldn't be able to see it at all. Well, you would probably be able to answer that right away. I, but I was, I, I did some high school physics. I really like physics. I even contemplated studying it, but I, I didn't, mm -hmm. I went another way. So that was really nice for me to just like, okay, let's Google, let's see what I remember and everything and then uh -huh. come back with an answer. So. But it, I didn't have an answer to their challenges right away. Right, right. And I think most people who just maybe, yeah, even if you did some high school physics, you vaguely remember, oh, yeah, there was like three Newton laws and uh, Kepler and something like that. But <laughs> right, right. Well, I think um, when most, most people, when they're exposed to those questions, as you were, they don't know the answer. Most people don't know any proper rebuttal to that. But I think because of the strength of the social structure there, you're not immediately going to flip and say, yeah. because I don't know the answer, therefore you must be right. Um, instead, I don't have you... to know the answer because I'm so happy there's people who actually go and study physics and engineering and mathematics. And so I don't have to, and I get to enjoy all the benefits. <laughs> that, that's exactly yeah. right. That's, that's my point as well. Um, you, you, you hear that question, you say, I don't know that answer, but I know that there are people that do know that answer. 
and I find your credibility limited, right? I don't, you don't seem credible. Whereas this physics professor, he, he think he seems credible to me. Yeah. So um, most people stay very stable in the globe belief. And then there's on the other spectrum, people who have made that transition to flat earth, that is also extremely stable. It's extremely resilient to outside information. So if I tell you, oh, this is why you can see what you're seeing. And in fact, if you look in that same photo, if you look in this other spot in that same photo, you can see that it captures evidence that there's a globe right there in that image that you're showing, um, which happens 95% of the time, by the way. Yeah. Um, they are still resilient to that. that. That does not sway them back into the questioning zone. Like there's, you know, you start off as a glober, everybody starts off as a glober, and then you have this moment of, yeah, but is it really right? Is it really a globe or could it be flat? And then most people stay in the globe zone. A few people slide over into the flat earth side. Once they're over there, it's extremely rare to come back. Yeah. Um, and it's not because the evidence isn't available. The evidence is, is everywhere. I mean, just watch a sunset. <laughs> just watch the sunrise lighting up the clouds. That should be enough. But, um, but no, they're, they're extremely resilient. So, and, and over there, it's also a spectrum. People are different. So some people get very angry and upset when you show them counter evidence. When you say, you know, this is why you took that photo and it shows what you show. Um, and I'd like you to look in the background of that photo and see that that background shows globe. Some people get very angry. Other people just sort of shrug it, just like you would, just like you probably did when they showed you the photo the first time and you didn't have an explanation for what they showed, but you were fairly confident that there was an explanation for what they showed, right? They'll do the same thing back to you if you explain to them like, let me give a concrete example. You can edit this out if it's too long, but uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I like let long. me give a concrete example. Um, uh, one guy that I talk with sometimes, I've never had him on the show before, but I talk with him. He sh shared with me a photo that he took of a distant um, a power station, uh, you know, a power plant, uh, and told me exactly where he was when he took the picture, told me where the power plant was. We opened up Google Earth together. We looked at it, um, and and he he showed me his calculations that proved that that power plant should not have been visible on the globe. And I said, "Well, let's try this other calculator real quick um, that allows for some some of the variables that you didn't punch in, and let's let's try this one." And that one confirmed exactly that what he had taken was the prediction from the globe model that had the, the extra information in it. Um, and at that point he was like, oh, well, okay. And then, um, and then I said, and let's, let's take a look at this Google earth thing. What's right behind that power plant that you took a picture of. Notice there's a lake behind that power plant. Like it's on the shore of a lake. Where's the lake in your photo? And we're like, 
there is no lake. Hmm. Well, maybe the lake is just behind this hill. What's on the other side of that lake is a, is a great big hill, much higher than the hill on this side. Why can't you see that hill? Right? You cannot see the hill in the photo at all. It's just blue sky. And at that point, his answer was, shrug, I don't know. Hmm. Right? And, and that, but, but he's still a flat earther. It was his own photo that he brought forward as evidence of flat, which when, when analyzed correctly, shows globe. Hmm. And it didn't convince him. Hmm. Amazing. <laughs> I, I just had an insight about, well, in this case, it didn't work, but... Um, I just had, had an insight in this, um, you know, one of the, that this is one of the things you do. You say, let's look at it together right. rather than saying, uh, well, you're wrong because look at this photo here. And, um, just a few episodes ago, I, I spoke with Dominic Petman, a media professor, and he wrote this book called Infinite Distraction about social media. Mm -hmm. And one of the mm -hmm. things that he says is that um, in this, age that we live in one of the things with social media is that you never speak at the same time so for instance on youtube i mean what happens a lot is someone makes a youtube video it's just talking one way and then someone else makes a youtube video in response or someone right. on twitter I, I post a message um it's almost it's it's rarely like you and me speaking now you know i, I can ask you a question you can give an answer you can post me a challenge and and if i if i start to go talking about something else you can you that's a different kind of dynamic different kind of interaction but with social media that doesn't really happen that let's you know that's what a teacher does right i mean you're a teacher right. that's what you you're not saying you're wrong you're saying let's look at this together okay where did you go oh you went to google earth okay let's open google earth together let's i guess that's one of the yeah May I'm just I'm just trying to understand this stuff as well, but I'm thinking how much of an influence it, does it have that you rarely have a flat earther and a glober in in the same space looking at something in a constructive way, right? Right. Um, it is my current hypothesis, and has been for some time, that what you're describing now of the like alternating conversations um, on social media are a, a part of their contributor. They are creating things like flat earth. They are creating um, these false um, counterfactual belief groups. Are, they're created and reinforced by that model. Um, so that's why I, I don't like to do that model. I think that um, there's, there's two things. It's, it's completely not collaborative. It's one and then the other one and the other. Um, and it's performative, right? Because you're doing it in a public forum. You're on Twitter, right? Yeah. And so it's, it's not two people trying to come to agreement. It's two people trying to convince other people. Right. It's so neither one is probably being fully genuine. Mm -hmm. They're instead they're acting, they're acting for the benefit of some audience. So and one of uh, the yeah. worst thing you can do in a, in front of an audience is say, 
oh, I guess you're right. Uh, I guess I was wrong. Even yeah, if you well, maybe, yeah. You right. Lose it, face, well, if your right? goal, yeah. if your goal is to be honest and to be correct, yeah, yeah. Then that would be the best thing that you could do in front of an audience. And so, I, in fact, I, I advise all of the like debunker folks to come forward and do that as often as possible, as yeah. often as you can come up with an excuse, come out and say, Hey, you know what? The flat earther I was talking to last week was right yeah. about this. He was right. Let me explain how he was right. Um, and because what we see is just this adversarial thing where it's all about trying to somehow be right or trying to somehow seem right, even if you aren't. So now I have to ask you if you've done that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, one of my, one of my flat earth, you know, uh, buds, uh, caught me out one time making a false dichotomy. I said, um, the earth is, uh, the earth must be convex, concave, or flat, and there is nothing else. It, it could be concave, it could be convex, it could be flat. And, um, and he, it, took him, it took him a while because I, I was pretty stuck. I was pretty stuck in my rut of those are the only three options. Mm -hmm. um, and then he was like, what about a like potato chip, right? It could, be, it could be wavy where it's convex in some places and concave in other places. I was like, okay, fine. You're right. <laughs> mm -hmm. You're right. It could be any number of shapes. Um, and so I had to, you know, we had to agree. We would be talking about in, in the local zone that we're testing in over the, the average over that zone could be concave, convex, or, or flat. Um, but yeah, if you open up, open up past there, that could be, he even showed me an image of one, like a proposal of, a, of an earth shape that is sort of scooped on the outside and then humped in the middle. And so it's, it's like, uh, a, like a, a Pringle or how do you call that potato chip or um, what would I describe it as uh, sort of like a wheel, right? Where oh, the okay. hub of the wheel bulges yeah. out and then the, the spokes of the wheels are carved in. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. he had, he had one of that. It's like, what about this one? I'm like, oh well, look at that! It's it's convex here, it's concave there, um, and so on the overall, it's flat. On on the you know edge to edge, it's basically flat. Um, mm -hmm. Right, and so it's like, oh okay, you're right. Yeah, that's an example of something a, a flat earther taught me, and I concede was absolutely correct. Yeah. So then, if we backtrack a little so you first you were pre providing you know more accurate information maybe also one of the things you're doing is you i mean i work with gps a lot uh so i recognize this they they always try to explain something in the way that the other person will uh understand even if for you maybe those are not the words you would use yourself you try to think what is a way that I can explain it in your, you know, in, in your words, the, the language that you use, that it makes sense? I try to do that. Um, I try to use layperson language a lot, just like non-science language. Yeah. Um, that's, that's another thing, I think, by the way, that contributes to anti-science sentiment in society is, uh, is 
it creates this, there's this artificial separation between I'm scientist, I am not scientist. Yeah. Um, and I think the way that scientists talk often creates that separation. And once you've got the separation, yeah. that's when anti-science can grow and fester on that mm -hmm. side. No, wow. I completely agree. There are some studies on that as well about studying how there's also a difference uh, between how scientists speak among themselves and uh, to the public. A lot of times when you speak in public in, as a scientist, you're trying to, I don't want to say sell something, but you, you write for a grant or you try to inform. So that's one of the things I'm wondering about, you know, trying to explain stuff in a way that you, tr you have to put aside your own expert language. Right. But at the same time, um, what often happens when, when, when scientists do that is they dumb it down and they use yeah. metaphors that I think are frankly just harmful. Like, uh, you know, you know, the, the images of the, um, uh, the molecules like sticks on uh, balls on sticks and everything. Right. Like, like the Bohr model. Yeah. 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 And I, I spoke to Vincent Icke, and he, you will, you will appreciate that he actually, uh, in his books, he he writes his own graphic software to do the illustrations. Personally, as as a as a non, I, I mean, as an interested non-physics person, often I feel not taken seriously. I I feel like, well, just you know, just give them this, and you know, they have kind of a feeling that they understand. Mm. But um, yeah, that's one of the other things is that what I mentioned before, your last conversation was five hours. Some of them are three hours, four hours. Yeah. If, if you really want to understand something that you're not an expert on, it takes some time. Yes, it does. I mean, if you just, just think about your own educational career, how long did it take you to get to where you are now? Um, right. You started in kindergarten. <laughs> And you went to grade school, you went through high school, you went through university. Um, you know, if we're talking about like a doctor or somebody, they go to, you know, medical school, they go to residencies and internships. And we're talking 20 years, 20 yeah. years of study to get there. Um, you're not going to get there in, in a YouTube video. You're not going to get there in a, a Facebook meme, right? Somebody put, no. posts a meme that's not, <laughs> right? <laughs> It's not an equivalent level of uh, study. <laughs> so it, it takes time. It really does. Have, have you ever heard about this term, uh, the curse of knowledge? The, the what of knowledge? The curse of knowledge. The curse of knowledge. Um, no, explain. Uh, I think, I mean, it was originally about economy, but the, I mean, now, now it has, for instance, a math teacher, you know everything about math and you're trying to explain it to, to you know someone who doesn't know about it it's for you it's just impossible to imagine what it is like not to know what you know yeah that's that's a big trap um it's a big trap we all fall in and um and, and let me even let me highlight that that five-hour conversation you're referencing as an yeah. example um the the person i was speaking to Corey. Uh, Corey is a flat earther and he's making some very serious mistakes, but he's been doing his work for some years now. He's been working with stuff that he invented yeah. for, for years and speaking about it 
And so for him trying to explain to me, I can see clearly that he doesn't, he doesn't grok. He doesn't understand that. I don't know what the heck he's talking about. Yeah. Because in his head, it's, it's all been worked out and he gets it. He just has to say a few keywords and that should, that should explain everything. Um, because to him, it does. Um, and so, yeah, that's one of the reasons it takes hours is because he'll say those keywords and then I'll have to say, look, I don't know what you're talking about. You'll need to slow down and explain to me what you're saying. Um, and you can see that that was, if you watched it, it was very difficult for him to do. It was a very hard exercise for him to go back to the original principles yeah. that he did some many years ago. So that's, I mean, I, I really love that conversation. I watched the whole, I mean, I had to go at one point, I watched like the last half hour later because he's not, first of all, he's not stupid. <laughs> no, he's not, he's not stupid. He's not like, a, a, as far as I could tell, he's not a con man. And yeah, I don't think so either. I think he's, he's legit. I think he's, uh, um, in fact, a perfect mirror really for all of us, for the average yeah. person. Um, I think we ought to look, look at someone like Corey and see ourselves. And he didn't just watch YouTube videos. He did measurements himself. It was about the angle of the sun. So he mm -hmm. measured the angle of the sun at certain times uh, in, uh, I think it was in Kabul. And yeah, the, the data he shared with me was from Kabul, yeah. Afghanistan, but he's done in the years since he's done it at least two other locations i think three or four other locations yeah. so so the uh, you know the if the sun is directly above you it's at 90 degrees mm -hmm. if it's at zero degrees it's like at the horizon mm -hmm. and his claim was that in the globe model you wouldn't be able to see the sun past 45 degrees i can't explain why but that does, that's what i got from it Right, so, very good. Yeah. And then he did measurements and he measured the sun angle at certain times at like 46 degrees, for, you know, over 45 degrees. Right. So according to him, because the globe model says you can go over 45 degrees and he measured it mm -hmm. and he had a different explanation. He had different also, he used different terms that, I mean, terms like lines of parallel or something like that that right. you had to yeah, do some work lines of parallel yeah right. and what what do you actually mean with that okay um right. so he would say it as if we all understood as if yeah. that was something that was taught in in fifth grade or something and we all should know that um yeah probably in seventh grade or eighth grade we did learn about something called parallel lines and lines of parallel maybe um but he isn't showing us or explaining to us how that's connected to what he's yeah. saying. Yeah. So then you, uh, besides the five hours, you took the time to build uh, like a 3D dimensional. I mean, that, that was the whole point, right? It was right, right. thinking in two dimension or three dimension, doing mathematics in two dimensions or trigonometry in three dimensions. So you built a 3D model and you discussed it with him. Right. And that was just fascinating. And in the end, what I got was about, uh, there was some moment in the conversation where um, you were talking about you're, you're on the North Pole 
mm-hmm. on the North Pole in the summer, the, the sun doesn't set. So it doesn't go below the horizon. And then he said, well, but you um, you have your sun at the wrong angle or something. If it's if it's at the horizon, it was uh, it should be zero degrees, but you had it at 23 degrees or 23 and a half. Right. And I mean, that's where I mean, that's where I learned something. <laughs> Is because uh, the you know uh, if you just imagine the Earth uh, as a three-dimensional object, you have the North Pole on the top and the South Pole on the bottom. So it makes sense to think if you're at the North Pole, you look at the Sun at the horizon, it's at zero degrees. But it's not right. because the Earth is yeah tilted. Do I say that correct? Right? Yeah, yeah. The Earth is tilted twenty-three and a half degrees, and and I think we've all heard that. We we heard it back in grade school. We saw the globe. But I don't think we all really super internalized it. Nobody thinks about it. I never thought about that's actually right now. I make the connection. Oh, so globes are tilted because right. of that. I, right. I just learned that now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how late? How long is a summer day where you're at? You're kind of far north. Very very short. Yeah. Well, a summer day, a summer day, a winter day. How long is a winter oh, day? Oh, okay. So, um, well, a summer day, sometimes the sun sets at 10 or 10.30. Yeah. Like so, so it's not quite 24-hour sun. You're not you're not up in the Arctic Circle. No, no. But, um, yeah, but yeah, the, the, and that was the, that was the core point I was really trying to get across. I was hoping with that, my big hope for that interview yeah. was that, I could get Corey to see that at some level he knew that he was wrong Um, because at some level I'm convinced he does understand this because we all know that summer days are longer than winter days. We know this and we know that the globe explains it, right? Yeah. This is just second grade we, now, we now you're second. by the way now you're starting to sound like uh, plato <laughs> i'm trying to, i'm s- sounding like what plato or socrates socrates yeah you remember like you you know i just have to uh you know the con- socratic conversation right you right, ask right. questions because yes. you know you know somewhere and a lot of times it's about mathematics he would ask questions and show that actually you know this <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. That's what I was trying to do. Um, was it was just get him to say yes, and and he did concede that that summer days are longer than winter days, as far yeah. as and I, mean, I don't mean twenty four hours. I mean the time the sun is up, and because of that, that should immediately snap. That that means the sun cannot go up and down in six, it's up for six, down for six. It doesn't do that. It takes longer than six to go up, longer than six to go down in the summertime. Uh, and his whole premise was that the sun moves 15 degrees per hour. So three times 15 is 45. That's where he got 45 from. Yeah. Three hours is a quarter of that, you know, 12 hour day. And so that's, the 45 degree sector. And he keeps saying 45 degree sector because he wanted to divide the day into equal quarters. Um, 
but he knows that it's not 12 hours long in the summer. It's more than 12 hours. Hmm. So to divide it into equal quarters is more than three hours. Um, and that's what I just kept trying to get him to go along with me on. Uh, but uh, I would say cognitive dissonance uh, kicked in at that yeah. point. Yeah. So, so what, I mean, given your success rate with uh, giving information and trying to conf convert them, I don't know if that was actually your, your goal, but what, how do you see your, what are you trying to achieve with your uh, channel right now? Yeah, good question. What am I trying to achieve right now? Um, at first, I was trying to convince people, um, mm -hmm. and I gave that up. Now, I use, I'm currently using their talking points as points of interest to learn for, for the rest of us to learn yeah. more science. Yeah. Um, like some examples for myself, I did not know how refraction works within our atmosphere. Um, I thought I knew, right? I, I was, I was Dunning-Kruger special. I thought I understood how the, the light going through our atmosphere will bend and how it will not bend. Um, and yeah, it was during one of these Flat earthers say if, if uh, um, you know, they, they show you a, a photo of a city which you shouldn't be able to see, according to them. Mm. Um, and but yes. you sometimes you can see things which are actually over the horizon right because correct because of refraction because of refraction but, yes. but then they also use that if anything you know you see the sun down you know whatever you see they say well that's refraction yes and i think i think it's mostly reactionary i think they mostly throw whatever we say back at us but when we say you know one of the very earliest um observations that really kicked off the latest uh the latest trend in the in this night in the 2014 2016 is when it really spiked um it's like a long distance observation of the city of chicago and you can see the city of chicago from way too far away and you can it was on the news and you can even hear the weatherman who's showing the photo. He says, and this is, of course, because of refraction, blah, 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 blah. And, but they would grab that. And then they say, oh, look, you can see too far. Um, and in the context of refraction, you know, a, a regular science person would say, yes, that's because of refraction. Here's how it works. And then, but then they would say, nuh-uh. And then on the next conversation, you'd say, well, how does the sun set? And they'd say, refraction. And so they would just turn that right back at you. Um, and then you have to say, well, okay, look, this is how refraction works. So things go this way, they don't go that way. You, like my claim as a regular science person is that refraction makes things appear higher than they actually are. And then the flat earther will say, no, it makes things appear lower, right? And so they're, they're working very hard to get on an equal playing field with you. Um, like if you say refraction can make things go higher, then I get to say refraction makes things go lower. Ha ha, we're equal again. Um, 
And I think that actually is sort of the, the main goal is to is not to win, but to get equal. Mm -hmm. So where, where do you think you're, where do you see this going with your channel? Do you have, do you have a goal in mind now? Or is um, it just an experiment for you? I mean, there are plenty of people watching. So, I mean, obviously others are enjoying it as well, but what's your own? What is goal? my own goal for it? Um, and the short-term goal is just keep it as a hobby because I enjoy learning. I enjoy learning more about science. I enjoy communicating these things that I've learned about science. And so I'm doing that. Um, I explicitly now state, I am not trying to convince anybody to not be a flat earther anymore, to come back from, from the flat earth side. You don't have to just, you're a flat earther. Great. That makes your point of view a really interesting talking point. Let's talk about that talking point and then uh, use that as just a, a jumping off point for science learning and science communication. Because um, they, they, they bring up some really fascinating questions that honestly, most people have no idea. Like, like I didn't know how refraction works. Um, and in so doing, my, my real push is to try to encourage critical thinking um, like for example, the, the case of the, the Chicago skyline, the flat earther will say, look, you can see Chicago. According to the globe, you should not be able to see Chicago. Um, and then I, I would, I would say we could talk refraction, but let's don't talk refraction. Let's talk about the double standard you just applied and hopefully teach all of us to catch that that was a double standard that was just applied. I mean, did you notice it? Did you notice that I had sa I said, you could see Chicago, and so that means it's not a globe. But I could have just as easily said, you can't see all of Chicago, and that means it's not flat. Or I can't see anything behind Chicago, and that means it's not flat, right? there's a, a complete double standard being applied. And most people, even the, even the anti-flat earth people mostly don't even seem to catch it. That, uh, <laughs> that you need to be critical. You need to be critical of stuff that, that you're told. And then when the, when the counter comes to that, you need to be critical of that as well. You need to apply equal you know, critical thinking on both sides. And that seems to be where people really struggle. And I think people could, all of us could be better and apply this in our daily lives. Like, you know, you, whatever it is, the, the, the city planners want to rezone your district and you have to vote on that. That's a, that's a choice for an individual to make you should go and be critical of both sides. Read both, you know, both proposals, but be critical of them both. Don't just choose to apply, you know, critique to only one side and be completely credulous to the other side, which is what I see happening over and over. Um, and yeah, I think you noticed, I, I tried to push that with Corey quite a bit, not, not, a, not a bit, gently that, um, he was extremely critical of the globe model. Like he had come at one point, he was claiming 
the model was wrong by six degrees. So, oh, it's, you're six degrees off, that's, that's huge. And then I pointed out that the flat earth model was over 30 degrees off. And his answer was, yeah, well, there's problems. with mm -hmm. the flat earth. And it's like, well, <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute. So you have a, I, I think I read that somewhere about a physicist said that they have a very high standard of evidence for the globe model. Uh -huh. uh, and a very low standard uh, for the flat earth model. Right. And, and it, it varies by individual. Some of them explicitly will state, many of them will explicitly state they don't need any evidence for the flat. The flat is just the default position. They'll say, this is a, it is flat until you prove otherwise, is what they'll say. Uh, and so if you, if you say, like, here's some fantastic evidence that it is, around, they'll say, ah, but that doesn't prove it. If that doesn't prove it, that's not good enough. Yeah. And then you say, well, show me some evidence that it's flat. And they'll say, I don't need evidence that it's flat. <laughs> it's the default position. You know what? One of the things I love about Fat Earth is that, like I told you uh, before we started recording, I really don't want to speak about Corona. Right. <laughs> or I really don't want to speak about climate change denial and everything. Right. So let's not do that. Let's just speak about flat earth. <laughs> I mean, it's exactly. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's why I do it as well. Um, the truth is flat earth doesn't scare me um, at all. I mean, yeah. people want to believe the earth is flat. They're not hurting anybody mostly. Um, but if people are going out doing something that has real impact on society, on people's lives, on the future, that's scary. Um, so that stuff, because it's scary, maybe we don't want to talk about it, right? So we can instead just talk about Flat Earth. It's like, uh, you know, the, you've probably seen the movie, Don't Look Up? Yes. Yeah, so it's kind of, yeah, par that's why parody works, right? Because everyone knows what you talk, but you kind of take the politics out of it. You kind of take, you know, you can, it's like a magnifying glass. You take things to an extreme and you see, uh, you start to recognize patterns. That's how I see it. You, you, I mean, you can see some patterns in how they argue, but just as much about yourself. Eh? Um, if you try, I mean, you try to, be, that's one of the other uh, good things for an experiment is that some things are stable. Mm -hmm. So you pretty much, I think you can pretty much spell out the script because flat earthers speak a lot about to people who are not flat earthers so people are not flat earthers they will say okay what about sunrise what about uh, time zones what about this what about that so they have an answer to mm. that, that's all scripted i mean I've, i even saw a guy he was in um, uh, some some youtube uh, podcast i guess with five other guys mm -hmm. and he was the flat earther and basically I've, I felt what this is because everything they would say, he would, you know, you said, well, how about the sun setting? Right. And one second later, he showed a video that he made in his living room of a ball on a string that's like going away. And it looked like the, the ball was, was going down. Right. Uh, and he had that for everything. So basically he had his phone there. He had, he has mm -hmm. this like menu uh, of all the things that people kind of like a call center uh, like a salesperson right right okay, if if they say okay boom this video refraction oh let me show you this photo 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, 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 over the years, they've collected, right? I mean, because it is a group, it's a community, yeah. right? Which is, I think, a very key part about it. It is a community. And so they've collected over the years their standard rebuttals for everything. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they've <laughs> done it themselves, but they're, uh, do you know Merchants of Doubt? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So there's like people whose full-time job it is to come up with things like that in the other cases that we won't talk about now. Right, right. But um well Flat Earth has their equivalent. They have um they have people who are sort of the leaders of presenting, of generating and presenting these counter arguments uh and like practically running training camps for to, t- to train the other flat earthers what to say in each situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it brings up an interesting twist on all of this, which is for me, I keep coming back. I just keep coming back to the question, are they genuine or are they like the merchants of doubt who, who know that what they're saying is a twisted lie, but that's their job to do. Like, how how many of them know that's a, that yeah that's the difference yeah is, is false and well, how many of them are somehow convinced that that demonstration was real yeah that's i mean that's i let's get in some uh, into some uh, we're getting into some philosophical territory right um right yeah there's this dutch Comedian Pauline Cornelissen, and during one of her shows, is she uh, says something like, "You know, I never know if if I think something if it's my opinion or if I'm just hungry." And so <laughs> right. it's one right. of the, yeah. Well, you're familiar with the 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 book Thinking Fast and Slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, I, I think, and I think there's some legit research. That indicates that if you're hungry, that affects how you think. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And but not just um, that. Also, uh, well, you talked before about social groups, right? Mm-hmm. The yeah, the kind of environment that you're in, the kind of experiences you have. I mean, the the people who say racism doesn't exist are usually, <laughs> you know, uh, white. Uh, persons or yeah right yeah i i interviewed a a guy um not not a flat earther um who actually tried to advocate for me that it was the minorities that hold all the power that that was what he thought yeah and i was like do you really think that (laughs) i think he does Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think he really thinks that yeah. So what's your what's your take on Plato's allegory? Okay, Plato's allegory. Uh, meh. Plato's alligator. Um <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I think I don't know, is are there more than one take on it? Um I think at a surface level we see that um you have to break out of your cave to learn something more. Um, so like we see the, the ad, advocate for, you know, break out of those barriers, go and see something more. And then we also see how, when he comes back, uh, his new knowledge is not accepted. 
so um, we see sort of a, a, a lesson about human nature, about how um, it, maybe it's not so easy to just take in someone else's knowledge, someone else's experience. You have to experience it yourself uh, to, to really get it. So would, would experiment doing setting up an experiment yourself would be that that one be one example? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and that is you know when I first started my channel, that's what I really focused on was, hey, do this, do this, do this. You can make a rainbow in your garage. Let me show you how. And it was, hey, get some Legos, put them on the floor, take a picture. This is how you can you can in your own living room prove this uh, and, and then you know doing the flat earth ones there's you know i have a uh, i have one of my videos is like 20 tests 20 cheap and easy tests you can do to see if the earth is round or flat um right and i i don't do the exercises i don't show the answers i just say here do these things if you want do them yourself to prove for yourself um yeah, very much off of like Plato's allegory. The idea is you go out of the cave. Don't, don't let me come back from the cave and tell you what I found. You go out and do it yourself. Here's 20 suggestions. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I thought, <laughs> I thought that that would make a bigger deal like, like Plato did. But I think what I found is something, uh, I don't remember whether it's in the allegory or not. But um, so what I've done is I, I went outside the cave. I found some stuff. I came back and I said, hey, there's amazing stuff out there. Don't take my work for it. Go check it out. And, um, and what I found was a, a lot of people who would go, no way, man, I'm staying in my cave. I like my cave, um, <laughs> which I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Yeah, in the in the allegory, actually, the first person is dragged upwards. You know, he's he doesn't want to go. Right. He's forced uh, out of the cave. So, because okay. he, yeah, it's it's really yeah. painful. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, I so guess yeah, I it's mean, definitely part of the allegory. Then, so Plato knew long before I learned it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's how people work. And, and did you know that actually, um, uh, you know, Mark Sargent? He's one. Um, I think many people have seen the. Be behind the curve the, the uh -huh. documentary on uh, netflix yeah plug plug for for behind the curve yeah even if you know i just want to say that's a beautiful piece of film it's really really yeah it's well done yeah. um it's it's not just like let's make fun of flat earthers it's actually a really good documentary yeah yeah, yeah. I, I agree yeah and of course for me very fascinating that mark Sargent he actually uses plato's allegory of the cave uh, I mean, he starts out in that documentary, he starts out with the Truman Show, right? Which is basically right. uh, based on, a, he says, well, imagine, uh, you know, like the Truman Show, but a stage that mm -hmm. is huge and you, you live inside of it and you're under a dome and uh, you think uh, you've been taught that the earth is uh, round. But, but actually, I've seen the, you know, the truth, if you look at yourself, uh, basically he's pretty much saying what you're saying i did an experiment because i went to see in the lake and i went to see uh, i think what, what he says is why well, i looked at airplanes how they travel right. and i started to notice hey they never fly over antarctica well right. why is that why it's is that because 
Antarctica is not actually like like the North Pole. The North Pole in the flat Earth map is in the middle, and Antarctica is actually a giant ice wall around a flat disk. Obviously, obviously that must be. Yeah, must so be. Then, or it could it be? Could it be that planes do fly over Antarctica? And Mark Sargent was lying to you. That's the truth. The truth is Mark Sargent just lied. It's not true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not true at all. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and they're actually doing research now in uh, they're going under the ice sheet and everything of Antarctica to uh, mm -hmm. because well, there's some serious problems uh, there, right? Right, right. Exactly. But I mean, it was so fascinating for me to this argument being used, you know, because I imagine this... Um, um, Julian, he makes an illustration usually for this podcast, and I propose this one, but he's not going to make it probably, but he's probably going to make another one. But it will be two persons in Plato's cave, and the dialogue will be, you're in Plato's cave. No, you're in Plato's cave. Right, right. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and it's back to, you know, I feel like it's, it's them throwing back our arguments right back at us um, but yeah, maybe they, they have a legitimate point. If you honestly believe that the earth is flat, then you believe you're the one who was woken up. But if you honestly believe the earth is a globe, then you think you're the one who's woken up. Yeah. Um, which brings, bring me to the premise of my channel, the premise of my channel's name, which is I can science that meaning how do we, how do we figure out who's really in Plato's cave in that the answer is science. You use the principles of science, which very simple. You invent a test. You invent a test that can objectively tell them apart, can tell which is which, which is true. Invent a test and perform the test. Now you know. Once you've done that test, you then know who's inside the cave and who's outside the cave. Um, yeah. So that's that was like the whole premise of that title of, of the, the YouTube channel. Yeah. So you're not trusting your i mean the first thing that people can say is well look at all the photos of the earth look at right. you know all those things so that's you're you're going more okay what what could you actually do if you really wanted to know this answer what would be a test that you could perform um that would show you the answer right right when somebody i, I just very simple i mean the, the very first simple test when somebody says there are no flights across Antarctica. Yeah. Okay. Well, then a critical thinker then says, okay, that's boom, check mark on the, that is that curious. Would be strange. That is strange. Yeah. We yeah. should accept that. And then we should be critical. We should say, does that prove the earth is flat? And I would say, well, no, there could be other reasons why we don't do that. Right. Just because you don't fly somewhere doesn't mean that place doesn't exist. Um, I don't think there are any direct flights to the North Pole, but that doesn't mean the North Pole doesn't exist, right? <laughs> so that's, you know, eh, that's not so much logic. And then there's the next one, which is, is this even true? So a critical thinker goes on the internet and tries to book a flight from Santiago to one of the Perth, uh, the West Coast of Australia, and see if there's a direct flight. And Actually, there might not be right now because of COVID restrictions still, but a few years ago, there absolutely were um, daily flights direct. And, it, and then uh, 
And if you really wanted to follow up, you'd say, well, gosh, thousands of people are flying this flight. Did anyone stick their cell phone out the window and film Antarctica as they did? Do a Google search, bam, there it is. There's a video somebody took out the window going, oh, look, kids, Antarctica. Um, <laughs> and at that point, you're like, well, I now learned something really crucial. I learned that Mark Sargent is not telling the truth. <laughs> right? um, and uh, that's, you know, that's basic critical thinking right there. But then you know that you you know that for yourself, and I mean another way. My my thought was like, uh, so their their logic is if the Earth was a globe, there would be flights over Antarctica. And then my question was, I didn't know there were flights over Antarctica. I thought, why would there be flights over Antarctica? Well, indeed, that's uh, the first step. Is does that even prove anything? No, it, yeah, it I mean, why why I mean, if you look at you know, if you go from um, you know, Santiago to Melbourne, their flights. Mm -hmm. But why else, what would be the shortest path to from point A to point B that would go over Antarctica, right? It, it would go, it, it cuts over Antarctica. They don't like to fly directly over the core of Antarctica for safety reasons. Um, because like if a plane goes down, they're, they're in a place they don't wanna be, right? There's no divert, there's no diversion airfields that, that they could want to go to. Um, so it's not super safe, but that's all right. It's like just flying across the Pacific. There's not a whole lot of airstrips out there. Yeah. So there's other reasons. And the main one is economics, right? How many people want to take that flight? Um, you know, I'm not going to put a flight between. You sound, that... you sound very, uh, that's very rational and very logical. But of course, if you're having a conversation with the, if you would have a conversation with the flat earther, you could think, I got you. But no, then there's another explanation for it. So right. basically anything that you could say about why the earth was round, if I would study the flat earth for every thing that you would say, I would be able to have kind of an explanation for that. Um, usually, no, actually, you'd have... You'd have something you could say, mm -hmm. um, but ultimately you'd have to resort to sophistry. Um, you'd have to say, uh, ultimately, there must be some other explanation that I cannot honestly justify. Yeah, I could. I mean, sophistry is, by the way, is also that's uh, the Plato's cave, right? Uh, yes. It, uh, some people yeah, say why don't you talk about sophistry? Because you're the philosopher, right? <laughs> Um, I use the term in a very derogatory way, but I think at the time it was, it was not like a derogatory thing. It was like a whole branch of philosophy, wasn't it? Well, um, you know, philosophy and sophistry, it's all the sof, sof, the sophos or sophia, it both means wisdom. So sophistry means like wisdom or a wise right. person. Yeah. So those were the, the sophists were the basically the teachers that would go around and teach people stuff, uh, relying on their senses. And it's, uh, you know, one of the, ins the, the, if you ever meet a philosopher and you want to insult them, you say, well, you're just a sophist. 
Yes. And the sophist will be the one that, I mean, the classic example is that uh, someone, uh, the first day someone would have this passionate, um, uh, how do you say that, uh, plea for going to war against Troy. And the next day, the same person would do the same, but then for not going to war. So it was about saying things that convince people, using all the rhetoric, uh, using the, mm -hmm. you know, but you can see with your own eyes that this is like this or this is like this. And then, of course, Plato, you know, uh, was like the, the, the painful, uh, you know, philosopher, the kind of a suffering artist things, right? Like right. he goes up to the surface and sees the truth, but then he comes back down into the cave. And, uh, you know, even though he, he has seen the truth, all the other people won't believe him. And they just follow the sophists who... In some interpretations, they are the people carrying the statues in front of the fire. Okay. So they create this, like, um, yeah, illusion around. Uh, well, it. I mean, Trump is. Let's not get too political, but Trump is a perfect example of being able to create kind of a world where people can live in. And the flat Earth is the same. You can. It's not just science or something. You become part of a community. You become part of, uh, you know, you could, and some types of religion or some, you can have this whole world that you can live in. And you can, if someone else comes with their world, you can always say, well, but my reality is better than your reality, but you can never figure that out. And then Plato is uh, the one then, or Socrates in this uh, cave allegory that says, well, but actually you need to undergo this painful journey that your eyes hurt and you come back and you're you won't have be able to have success in this world anymore because your your eyesight is basically ruined you can play the games that make people successful but you're the one that knows the truth so it's like an unthankful task mm. mm -hmm. so so in in modern use uh what does it mean if I say you're you're using sophistry? That's just that is sophistry. I mean, usually it's with just that's yeah. just sophistry. What does that mean now? It means that you're so philosophy means love of wisdom. So you're not love of success or love of being right or love. So the the example you gave is that you um, you have these conversations and you find out you're wrong and you admit it because. You love at that moment, you love truth or wisdom more than you love, you know, looking good or being right. successful or something like that. So, and I think when people say you're a sophist, it means, well, you're just uh, basically a politician, right? That's, that's a sophist. They will, and it could be, it could be a fair, it could be, you know, you want uh, to stop climate change or it could be a very good cause, but mm. you're, you've determined this is my goal. And I'm going to use everything in my power to accomplish that and say what I need to say. And, and so there's the, so some people actually say, well, that's, that's actually the way the world works. And that's, you know, you, if you, if you're a scientist, let's say you're, you're invited on TV and you're able to show one diagram, let's say it's about climate change or something like that. You have to explain something very complex and you have two choices and the one is more true to what you're saying and the other one is actually you know you're kind of lying but you know it will be more convincing which one would you use 
Um, that's a good segue into something we wanted to talk about. Which one would I use as a as an educator, as a science communicator? I would probably use the one that I thought was the more effective communicator, but I would be very cautious and very specific to point out the ways in which I'm shortcutting it, to point out that this is not the whole picture. It isn't actually like this, but this is a good way of thinking of it. Um, I, I like to try to, to leave that door open, but I, I will use the simplified or the, uh, the more understandable, what I think is more understandable approach. I mean, like uh, the classic example is, you know, Einstein's gravity. Yeah. We see the, the demo of the sheet. They take out like a rubber sheet. They put a heavy ball in the sheet and that makes a big divot in the sheet. And then you, you roll another ball and it goes around in an orbit. And we say the sheet represents the warping of space time. Right, and then we see the ball goes around. Um, but we know, like anyone who understands general rel relativity goes, that is messed up. <laughs> because you're using gravity to power that. The whole thing is being powered by gravity. And there is no gravity well that, you're trying to model gravity by showing gravity. It's just messed up, you can't do that. Um, but, uh, I think it's. I think it is an effective communication tool to explain sort of what we're talking about, kinda. Um, but you, you just the risk you run when you do that demo is that people come away thinking that you were trying to say that's how it works. That 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 is real. That that's really what we're trying to say. And well, no, it was just supposed to be a visual aid to give you an intuitive sense of sort of what we're talking about. It wasn't mm -hmm. supposed to represent reality. Um, I think people sometimes think it is supposed to represent reality. And if you, left, if you let people walk out of the auditorium thinking that that's what you were saying, then I think you were lying. I think you were just lying to them. And it's not, um, it's not okay in my book for a politician, despite the fact that's the way the work, world does work, like uh, I think it's CCP Gray has a video, uh, something about why rulers must lie, that uh, that it, you just must if you if you want to be a ruler, you've got to lie. Um, I understand that's how the world really works, but I still find it strongly morally uh, wrong to just go around telling people things that are not true, even if you've got like some good reason you want them to to do something and you have to lie to them to get it to get them to do it i don't think that's cool yeah so that that could be a difference between if you if you just take it literal like if you love uh, if you're a philosopher you you would only say the truth or what you at least as so a truth could be okay i'm going to show you a model but it's a model it's not how things actually works but i think it and then you have this whole explanation that would be i think a way to say well um well maybe a sophist would say well if i show this model i don't know what your goal is at that moment to convince people about let's say a policy decision or something like that right but the problem is that 
um, if you see a scientist, because you, what you see on TV is is in these kind of cases is often a, a scientist and someone who says, no, that's not true, climate change or whatever. Right. This is emergence of doubt as well. So first, right. the first impression you get, well, it's 50-50 because there are two people. So it's 50-50. Right. And then the, the scientist goes, well, yeah, but it's actually a model. So, and then the other guy goes, okay, so you're saying it's not true. Aha, uh -huh, see, I got you. Because I actually know, I, I actually know 100% certain that climate change is a hoax. So do you know 100% certain that, that climate change is real? And then you go, well, you know, in science, you never know. And yeah, see, I got you. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I get that. Um, so uh, where I come from is uh, the audience that you're that you're competing for. Really, at this point, you're competing for an audience. Um, the audience is currently a certain percentage of them are drawn to the merchants of doubt argument. Um, some of them are drawn to the, the science argument. They say, oh, that person is being very reasonable. That person is leaving room, cushion room, and is talking that there's nuance. This other person is just making a firm line. No, it is this, my way or the highway. I think that there's a division in society. Like in our culture, there, we divide amongst ourselves between I am going with that and I am going with that. And I want to break that. I think we need to break that line down. We need to erase the, the, the separator so that when someone does come out and say, um, uh, no, the scientist is wrong. I have 100% certainty. Here's a Facebook meme that proves it, that, um, that we, we look at that and say to ourselves, yeah, but that scientist guy, he's on my side. He, he's part of my team. Uh, so let's hear what he has to say instead of um, what I think the reaction very often is, yeah, that scientist guy, he always rubbed me the wrong way anyway. I'm more than happy to reject his spiel. Um, yeah, and I think part of that comes from the, the artificial lines that we do present. Like when we, sh we show the rubber sheet demo, and I, and I don't think it's usually the scientist's fault. I think it's usually the TV editor's fault <laughs> that uh, it's presented as if this is reality and this yeah. is the way it works. Um, and we're, and that creates the, the moment where there can be a line because when the scientist originally presented it, there was no line. It was just like, you know, um, a full spectrum mm -hmm. like, with your climate change example. I'm gonna say no, a very few credible scientists would actually say it's 100% certain this is, you know, we're all doomed in X years. They, they don't say that. <laughs> they have a very nuanced presentation. Um, but then I think it's usually a TV editor comes in later yeah. and takes out a snip of that and puts it into these dichotomy presentation that allows uh, their viewers to choose a camp. Uh, and I think I, what I'm trying to do is find ways to 
to make it so that there isn't one camp or the other choice, that we should just be able to say, look, these are the facts. I can back those up. Can you back up your facts? And if you cannot, then let's all agree to the facts that we can back up. Mm-hmm. And then we can then we can start talking policy, right? We can make policy once we understand the facts. And the merchants of doubt are very much in the business of establishing doubt, uh, trying to um, make it so that facts are not agreed upon. That's a good point because the what okay again let's only talk about feathered and not the all, all the other stuff, but it's right. exactly the same. Uh, in my conversations with third earthers, you know, at one point they they start asking a lot of questions to me, and I have to. I was googling my physics and blah blah blah. And at one point I asked them, "Yeah, but how do you? How are you so certain that?" They asked me, "So how are you so certain the Earth is a globe? Did you ever go to space?" And and right. I mean that's go. That's a good point because you know I haven't seen it with my own eyes. It's it's an inference. It could be you know. It could be I'm living in Plato's cave, but what about you? I, so I asked them, uh, how are you so sure? And he said, well, I don't know. Uh, I'm just asking questions. I don't know what shape the earth is. Uh, so graf- so Straight explain- out of the Merchants of Doubt playbook. Yeah, explain gravity to me, right? That's one of the things. Why does stuff fall down? Um, and then they, and a very interesting argument I find is that they say, uh, okay, well, uh, actually, there's a contradiction because Newton says gravity is a force, but then Einstein is says it's just the effect of space-time. And what is it? And it's really, I mean, I don't know if you heard it. The, the yeah, I don't yeah. know if I haven't heard from fin- Vincent Icke. I spoke to him. He wrote a book called "Gravity Does Not Exist," right. and that's exactly what flat earthers say. And right. I mean, and that's so, that's one of the yeah, profound that's, that's one of my yeah. that's one of my things. If there's any science communicators out there who, who watch your show and hopefully or listen to your show, I hope they are. Um, and I hope they hear me say, stop saying that. Don't don't say that ever again. Um, don't don't say gravity is not a force. Please, please stop saying that. Uh, the, the only reason to say that is to create a line, it's to create a division between Einstein on one side and Newton on the other side, but that division does not exist. There is, there is no, it's, it's artificial. You're creating an artificial division. You're allowing people to throw themselves into one bucket or another. And that's not what we want. We do not want to say, uh, and, and I think subconsciously, I think that's a big reason why scientists tend to do this is they want to feel superior. They want to show that they're, advanced knowledge is amazing and incredible. And so they, they say things like, the mind-blowing things, like gravity is not a force, right? I and, really, uh, in one of your videos, you say, uh, well, uh, uh, Newton is backwards compatible with uh, Einstein, right? I really like that. Right. I think, so, yeah. so just, just to, uh, you know, just a point uh, about uh, Vincent Icke's book, is that like, He's basically saying, well, gravity, it's like sunset. We still speak about sunset, but we actually know that the sun is not setting. Uh, Correct. Because the sun is not moving, but we still use the word sunset. And it's like the kind of language we use, the kind of word we use, they create a certain model. But so for gravity, you think, well, it's 
if I drop something, there must be a force pulling down. Well, if you actually look into it and you're a physicist and you you might have a different, but it uh, that's that's what I find fascinating. It's not just you have a different explanation. You just say, well, it's not a force, but you have a different language, a different theory, a different way of making sense of of that. Right. Um, the my thing about it is like you, like you're saying with the book, the sunset analogy is perfect. We yeah. know the sun isn't moving, but we still say the sun sets. So we understand general relativity, but we still say gravity is a force, right? It's it's a perfect analogy. And so like the title of the book, Gravity Doesn't Exist, is obviously it's just, you know, it's like clickbait in book form. Um, it's not the person saying, no, gravity doesn't exist. We, like I'm not floating up off the ground here. We know gravity is a thing. Yeah. But the, those, those like harsh things that we say like that create a division. Like most people aren't going to read the book. But uh, there's plenty of people who will see the title or see that, see that clip, see that buzzword and grab onto it and see it as if, you know, the sensationalism that it is. Um, yeah. So gravity when you say gravity is not a force as an example you're redefining what the word force means and i've never i honestly i've never seen a definition of force to which gravity does not meet that definition gravity is a force um it's just not the it's it's a pseudo force or it's an inertial force you could use hmm. other you know you could you can put nuance on it. Feel free to put the spin and the nuance and explain to me that uh, gravity is an emergent force that emerges from the curvature of space-time. Isn't that amazing? Um, yeah, that's amazing. But when you say, no, gravity doesn't exist or gravity isn't a force, that's not true. It's yeah. <laughs> not but then right. you're, you're using the word emergent, which, which I find a fascinating word it's like uh you can say well uh, the the uh, the reason that that it looks like the sun is setting is actually an, something emergent right uh it's uh you know probably it has something to do with perspective it has to do with where you are with the what you see and uh if you have a let's say deeper understanding in this case you know in plato's cave the sun is setting but if you have a deeper understanding you have this model where actually the the earth is uh going around the sun so you have this deeper understanding but still the sun sets in a certain right. way right but yeah. that's I, I was actually when i started go, talking about i want to i have one thing i want to respond to this but just when i was talking about gravity it was just to finish that it's because that's uh you st you speak with flat earthers and after a while you but what about gravity what how do you think about gravity right and uh, some of them actually try to give an explanation saying well actually the uh you know the disc is is moving upwards accelerating upwards which would you know if you think about okay how fast how long for how long and how fast is it going by now but i think most of them would just say well yeah we don't know what it is but scientists don't know that either Right. So you're pretending you're pre pretending to know what gravity is, but 
but gravity doesn't exist. Okay, so what is it according to you? I don't know. I'm just asking questions. And that's such a difficult position. I mean, all the other stuff that we're not talking about, if you start to notice it, when people just say, I don't, I'm just asking questions. I'm just asking questions. Yeah. Well, I, I would say, um, well, first of all, I, I think it's really interesting. If you're interested in the topic, do a little background research on the, the earth is accelerating upwards argument and you'll find it was, it's not real. Uh, they don't think that. Um, that. That was proposed by physicists who were pretending to be flat earthers. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. Um, and then certain flat earthers, maybe real flat earthers, I don't know, yeah. glommed onto that and ran with it. Um, <laughs> it was a joke, guys. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but the ones who just say you don't know, they're much more interesting. The ones who are really just trying to establish doubt. They're trying to say, yeah, but you don't know how gravity works either. Don't act like you do. Put us back on a level playing field. Put us on an artificially level playing field. I think that's the key is to recognize. And I think all of us, lay people, regular folks need to look at that happening. Look at that leveling of the playing field and realize when it is artificial, right? When you have 97% of published research says one thing and 3% of published research says, yeah, I'm not sure. It doesn't even say no. It says, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, that's not, well, it could be either way. I don't know, right? That's, that's not what that's saying. Um, and, and when you have like a flat earther with, with, um, with, with gravity, they say, yeah, but you don't know what gravity is either. Um, the, the science answer is ultimately we don't know what anything is. If, you know, Feynman does a, a fantastic lecture, um, an interview. There's a fantastic inter- interview with, with Richard Feynman where he explains that anything, if you, want, if you ask about anything, we can drill down and drill down and drill down and keep asking why, why, why. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's great. I know yeah. that one. Yeah. And as we drill down, we'll ultimately get to the end of human knowledge where we don't know, right? You, there, there is an end of current human knowledge at every level. And the, the flat earth argument is pretending that because you can get to the end, that means yeah, you don't no. know. Yeah. It's like, well, well, we don't know that, but you had to dig, you know, you had to dig through reams and reams of knowledge before you ultimately found that barrier. Like, you don't know how gravity works. And I said, well, yeah, we do. We, we know that masses are attracted according to this formula. Um, we, can, we see that in the planets. We see that in the motions in the heavens. We have satellites and rockets and, uh, and you know, uh, Cavendish experiment. You can, you can do it in the classroom and, and derive this formula. And then they'll say, yeah, but what about Einstein? Say, well, okay. And we know about Einstein and he created this and this principle and this, this equation or set of equations that are much more complicated and teach us even more about that. And they say, yeah, but what even Einstein says, he doesn't know why. And I go, well, yeah, we, we, now you're at the limit of human knowledge. But yeah. what about those previous layers we just <laughs> dug through that you're acting like we don't know? 
Yeah. So, you know, basically, if you Newton and Einstein, then Einstein is able to explain a wider range of phenomena than Newton, right? Correct. But yes. it doesn't mean that Einstein's, we actually know that it's not complete. It's we know that Einstein is, is not complete. There are phenomena that we currently cannot explain. Exactly. So it's not, you know, we cannot say, I mean, as a physicist, I think we can say, well, we, we are absolutely sure that now uh, this is, this thing in Einstein's theory is, is the case, but that's, I think that, so that I'm trying to kind well, of organize in my mind, right? There's just, I, yeah, just but, let me make a list before I, I forget. Okay. So okay. Uh, there was just something, because I really appreciate how you speak about facts and, and that, that this, this should be the ground for, you know, at least human communication and policy making everything. The problem I have with facts is that as far as I can see, facts only exist within a frame of reference. And that doesn't mean that facts are relative. So, uh, you know, uh, there I have alternative facts or whatever. <laughs> right. um, but just, you know, we say, well, um, gravity does not exist inside one frame of reference. Mm-hmm. That would be false, but in another inside another frame of reference, it could be yeah. Actually, that makes sense because in this, if you take into account this whole thing, if you say the Earth is flat, if I say the Earth is flat, yeah. If I'm uh, coming to the Earth near light speed, then it appears flat to me. Right. But when I just say, well, I I know as a fact the Earth is flat. There's this whole unspoken thing that that I say, well as a human being living on earth, uh, accepting that we're not in a giant conspiracy, uh, accepting that I'm not a brain in a, in a fat somewhere that is manipulated, uh, accepting that, that uh, you know, history exists. And that's, uh, there's all these things that we, we don't say. It's just kind of the, the background, like the, how do you say that? The background, uh, the Hubble constant, like the background radiation yeah. or something. Yeah, like, the, like the background. Yeah. And the microwave background, yeah. But then you know, and that there's the 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 table I I touch now is real, and it consists of molecules and everything. But then I and I've actually had this conversation with the flat earther where I say we talked about the atmosphere, I think, uh-huh. because that's one of the things they say. How does the atmosphere stick to to a ball and right. everything like that? Oh no, how why why doesn't it get sucked into a vacuum? And you did the whole video about that. Yeah. And then I start speaking about, well, but air molecules. And they say, yeah, but you, so you believe in molecules. Right. So then we had to have an argument about molecules not being real, according to him. So right. yeah. Uh, yeah. there's this, you know, at the moment you, you can say you have a conversation with someone, you need to share something, a kind of a frame of reference. But right. if that other person lives in a world where we are part of a giant conspiracy and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's, I mean, the facts facts are relative to, I guess they make sense within a certain theory or, or frame, I guess. Yeah, we have to be in certain shared background fundamentals before you can really assess what, what words mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's the first one is the vocabulary. If you're, if, if you think, that stop signs are blue because that's your definition of blue, then we're gonna have tr- trouble talking about colors. 
that we have to have words that mean the same thing. Uh, yeah, and we have to be, we have to understand that we're not talking about movement at the speed of light. We have to understand, you know, that I'm not talking about a local small area of the earth is flat. Sure, it's super flat and mm -hmm. that's great. Um, we have to understand what we're talking about. Um, yeah. And, uh, and someone who wants to argue that molecules don't exist or, you know, how, however far back they want to go. Um, yeah. I don't know what you can, I don't know what you can really do with that uh, other than, you know, this my, my own fallback, which is you're rejecting thousands of years worth of accumulated human knowledge um, with no reason to do so. You're just, you're doing it. You, <laughs> um, you're going to need to give me some reason to do that. Maybe there's another parallel, but I, I, I probably I'll release the episode after this one, but I talked with Ilanta um, uh, Friday about food and one of the things we discussed was that we just eat. We are not, we eat too much. And I mean, at least in our societies, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> we eat too much and we don't think we, we don't really have a conscious relationship with food. Right. I think one of the reasons is because I can pretty much order. I can, you can, you can tell me a kind of food. I can probably have it uh, tomorrow if I want to. Right. It's available. It's everywhere. And because it's so available, because I can get a mango from the supermarket, I don't really appreciate, you know, the beauty of this, you know, just eat the mango and just think about how beautiful and everything it is. And it right. grew here and it's so, uh, but we have the same thing with the internet. I want, this is also an argument that uh, Dominic Petman makes. There's more knowledge available than ever in the human history. Maybe that's also part of the problem because it just seems... Yeah, there's a, uh, you know, a lecture by, uh, who, who did you name before this about why? The, Feynman. 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 Yeah. yeah. And then, but then there's also a lecture about uh, a flat earther and they, they're both, you know, the same size, the same right. length, and I can watch them both. <laughs> yeah. I remember when the internet was brand new, um, I, I foolishly declared that it was, it was a waste. It was a waste of time because the internet, the signal to noise ratio on the internet was made, it made the whole thing unusable. This was, was brand new, right? Uh, I didn't want any part of it because I, I looked and I was like, oh my God, the signal to noise ratio on the internet is, is terrible. For every one true statement, you find nine false statements. Yeah. And, you know, then I forgot all about that. The internet grew up around me and I, I grew with it and I accepted it and I got into it and I, I was really excited about it. And, um, uh, Derek from, um, oh my God, Veritasium. Veritasium has a beautiful video where you can see him having an existential crisis as he realized that, um, yeah, yeah, that initial assessment I had made in the 90s um, came to pass that uh, the signal to noise ratio on the internet is horrible. Um, because, you know, Derek from, from Veritasium had devoted his life to science communication and yeah. teaching truth to people. And then suddenly he was realizing, as, as I realized, and I think many people realized that 
the internet gives us all the opportunity to choose our facts. Uh, so we can, we can be a flat earther if we want to. We can just go and find the flat earth discussions and join those and just choose not to look at or choose not to accept the counter arguments. We have that option. Um, and the internet has, has made that you know, even more accessible than it ever was. Mm. Most of us, most of people who listen to this, they don't have like a really big science education, but they are in a society where there are debates that are much more complicated than flat earth. Right. But you have to kind of, you know, there's if there's two politicians saying, well, the science is on my side or do you have right. any tips for what what can people do? Do we need to kind of brush up on our high school physics or how do you um, navigate when all these contrasting? Uh, how do you distinguish the signal from the noise as a lay person? As a great question. How do you do that? Because we need to as lay people. You know, we mostly live in democracies of some kind. Right where we have to weigh in on this. Um, how do we find out who's telling the truth and who's not? Um, I, I think Carl Sagan, decades ago, uh, he had a baloney detector that he, he talked about. So I would, I would say, go, go listen to what Carl Sagan said about the baloney detector. Um, I think we all need to work on our baloney detectors. Hmm. Um, the best, the best possible means is to find the ground truth from first principles for yourself, uh, but that's not practical. It's just not practical for all of us to become scientists and doctors and engineers and, and mechanics. We, we can't do that. Ultimately, we need to build up um, institutions that, uh, that monitor that sort of thing, um, you know, we have scientists, we have doctors, people who've studied extensively and practiced, researched for real, like real research. Those people deserve our, you know, uh, um, I don't know, our respect, right? For, for all the effort that they have put in. Um, and so the, the big problem that comes up uh, the hard one is when there's two experts being presented. One expert says A, other expert says B. And ultimately what we're currently doing is going to our political organization or our cultural subgroup and going with whichever expert our cultural subgroup is going with. Um, we need to stop doing that. And we need instead... Um, ask the real questions, the ones that Carl Sagan talked about, which is, uh, now who has the backing of trusted institutions um, and, and defer to them until such time as you can ask the questions and get the answers to satisfy you that, that that's legit. Um, and that brings you to the core problem, which is those trusted institutions have become untrusted. They're, they're not trusted. And that's the thing, like um, uh, trying, to, trying to pick one that's not like on our no list, like just flat earth, when yeah. you say flat earth, trusted institutions, you know, go to, go to any university, talk to a, a friendly physics professor and 
ask them, is the earth round or flat? They'll tell you it's round. They'll, they'll all tell you it's round. Um, so now you would only really reject that expert if you're willing to, willing to re reject university education across the board. You're like, okay, those are my enemy now. Um, and I would say, no, go back and remember we have to each specialize. We can't learn everything ourselves. The only way we can progress as a society is if we divide up the knowledge. And have you learn one thing, I'm going to learn something else. And together, we now have twice the knowledge that we could have separately. And we need to establish, again, a trust in that basic mechanism that, uh, that some people really do know stuff. Um, and <clears throat> there are always people out there who, for whatever reason, are going to say they know stuff, but they're completely wrong. Um, and we have existing mechanisms for identifying them. What, we, what we've lost is the trust in those mechanisms. Right? You, you wanna, there's a politician who says something and it, it moves you deeply. When you feel the politician says something and it moves you, and you say, oh, I agree with that politician because he said that. I just urge you, just go and see what the other side says. Um, you know, go to Snopes, right? Go to, we have institutions that will fact check. Just fact check it. Just before you share it, before you go and share to all your friends this new thing that you love, just see if it's true first. Yeah, often it's, it feels very daunting to do, do that, but it doesn't take too much usually. If you Google a little bit, you can uh, find right. out a lot, right? Yeah. Right, and, and at least at least have the wisdom, the, 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 you know, the self-reflection to realize when something is moving you uh, in an emotional way, but you don't actually know that it's true, right? And then at least tap the brakes a little. And before you share it with the rest of the world, just say, wow, that really moved me. And I think that's going to sway my opinion. But because I don't know that it's really true, I'm going to resist spreading it. Right. One thing I, I like to add is that I think I hope you continue doing what you're doing and more people should do that because the form, a lot of it is about we're, we're you know, doing experience is great, but most of the times it's about conversations and people speaking together. Right. And when people don't see things the same way on television, usually that's in the form of debate. Right. And um, that's basically the form we're just used to it in our society, you know, but that's sophistry. So who wins the debate? Right. Is, you know, is that the person who's actually right or is that the person who's a better debater? And what you're doing is you're having, uh, yeah, discussions, I think you call it, huh? a com conversations, dialogues. Yeah. And that's yeah. so rare. And it's, I mean, you, you also have one with the climate change, uh, you know, someone who's skeptical about climate change. I mean, that gave me a lot of information uh, already. If you just have people speaking and they take their time and everything like that. So, right. Yeah. I have this fantasy that we would all want the truth. And that um, if somebody presents me with evidence that is, that is truly convincing that I will change my mind. Um, 
I think I've demonstrated that I do that. <laughs> you actually have a video uh, called I want to be a flat earther. Right, right. And you say, well, bring me your evidence. What's your best evidence? And you review it. And um, yeah, <laughs> that, that was a fun one. Uh, right, right. Um, yeah, I mean, like the, the, the case of refraction is my is one of my go to's for I was wrong. Right. I thought that refraction worked a certain way. Someone said, no, I don't think so. You should look at this. And he just pointed me at one thing. I looked at it and instantly realized I was wrong and then dug deeper to understand why. And then I came back and made a video and said, hey, look, I was wrong. This is how it actually works. Isn't this amazing? Um, I'm, I'm ready to do that. I, and I, I have trouble understanding the fact that humans in general are not ready to do that. Yeah, humans are strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's one of the things I learned is no, we're we're not wired like that. We're wired um, to be tribal. We're wired to say, um, my you know, in my tribe, we butter the bread bread side down or butter side down, mm -hmm. and because that's that's how it is, um, and it's not acceptable for you to butter your bread on the on the other side. It's we have to fight now. <laughs> that's how we're wired right um yeah and so i do like to I, I hope that someday we can present you know people say well if i butter it like this and oh no i butter it like this is there a right or wrong here let's pros and cons it and let's come together and and see if it's right or wrong or maybe it doesn't matter um mm -hmm. I, I wish that that's how we could we could do so that's, that's what I'm trying for. Thanks very much for taking the time to speak with me. All right. Thanks for having me. Maybe we can check in uh, sometime in the future to see how, because that's one of the things I love about your channel. I hope everybody who listens to this is going to watch some videos and um, because it's evolving. That's what I like. It's open-ended. So I'm really excited to see where it's uh, going. And I actually, I hope that more people will start to do that. Yeah, um, I hope so. I hope I hope it grows. It's not monetized. I don't make any money off of it. I think that's kind of important um, to try to build trust. I'm, I'm trying to establish trust, uh, and I think money gets in the way of that. So um, it's not like I'm doing it. I'm not here plugging my channel so that I can make money uh, or anything like that. I just if you would want to make money, you wouldn't make five-hour uh, videos, I think. <laughs> I don't think so. No, I no. don't think so. <laughs> right. uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just something I, I do hope someday we can make the world a better place. Uh, and I think the better place comes in, in breaking down tribal arguments over simple facts. And thank you for listening. I'll list some of the resources that we talked about in the description. Go to live on platoscave.com for ways to support this podcast. I'll see you again next time. <laughs>